Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Last week, we discussed the balance billing ban included in the Consolidated Appropriations Act, or CAA, that passed at the end of 2020. This week, we're discussing another provision that was included in the CAA, a request for information regarding reporting on pharmacy benefits and prescription drug costs. Marcy is here today to discuss the RFI and our response to it, as well as some upcoming comment letters that NAHU will be submitting to the administration. So what does the CAA require in regards to this RFI? So the RFI or request for information revolves around a section of the CAA that requires employers to disclose certain aspects of their plan benefits when it comes to pharmaceuticals. So this then relates back to pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs. So technically this is an RFI on PBMs from the CAA. If we're getting down with our acronyms there. The request for information here is about exactly how those PBMs and employers would interact in order to be in compliance with this disclosure section of the CAA. And the section in the CAA that this is referring back to asks for employers to disclose things like the top 50 pharmaceuticals that are prescribed to their group, down to the cost, down to the number of pills. And most of this information, depending on how your benefit plan is structured and the type of employer plan that you have, this is information that is not held by the employer. It's typically held by the pharmacy benefit managers, the PBMs, the TPA, third-party administrator, or other types of third-party vendors that negotiate and coordinate these contracts. So the RFI was a kind of a nod by the departments to, to realize they needed some more information on these relationships in order to figure out how this would work to be able to actually put into place the aspects that were in the CAA. And so we were more than happy to point out some of the inconsistencies when it comes to what happens kind of in the real world versus what was asked in the statute. So what specifically are the federal agencies asking for in this RFI? A lot of the information revolves, again, around the PBMs and some of it asking about the information they have, some of it asking about specific business practices, and then asking about how burdensome this rule will be to put in place, how complicated it will be for employers, asking if there are differences depending on the the size of the group for the employer or how the benefit plan is structured, whether it's level funded, whether it's fully funded. So really getting into some of the intricacies of all of this is, is what it's asking. 
And I think this is, again, like I mentioned, an indication that they've realized that they are asking employers to disclose information that the employers don't hold, they don't own, they don't have access to, and that the PBMs and TPAs are not required to disclose or hand over to the employers. Regarding the agency's general implementation concerns, they asked if there are significant differences between reporting obligations among different types of plans, such as fully insured versus self-insured, small group, large group. NAHU members appear to be the ideal group to answer these sorts of questions. How do we respond? So when we're looking at the small group versus large group, Something that we did point out is that smaller employers will find this requirement much more difficult than some of their larger employers. And this is because, once again, they currently don't have access to this type of information. And the rule doesn't say how these small groups are supposed to really, I mean, and it's really compelling the insurance carriers and PBM to PBMs to release this type of information so that the employers can report since that's who the, the statute is asking to report this information. And then when it comes to looking at self-funded versus the fully insured, on the fully insured side, Technically, the plan issuer could compile all of the medical plan claims data and disclose it to group clients, but this is not what is currently happening today, so it's going to be hard to put this into practice. And neither fully insured nor the small group self-funded service agreements with issuers talk about disclosing this data. So another point here is whether... This is going to bring up a different type of contract negotiation between the plan sponsor and the issuers. And it's not indicated in the statute if that's something that needs to happen. So these are a lot of questions that we have since the statute isn't compelling this type of information sharing to happen. And then on top of that, the information that the employers are required to disclose, it's the statute says that it has to be in a very specific machine readable format. And that's also not the format that some of the, the medical claims data that is being shared with employers, it's not being shared in that format currently. So this brings another issue of how that is going to be able to be overcome if it's not something that's already being done. And then looking even further into that, and especially for the smaller employers and the smaller you get, the more difficult it is to attain that really granular data as opposed to just a summary of information. And that's what the statute is asking about. It's asking for very specific data, like I said, down to the number of pills of a certain prescription that are being prescribed under their group plan. So this is all, as you can imagine, very difficult to put together, very confusing on how the overall filing is going to work. And then when we think about all of this, and again, looking at how it will impact the different sizes of employer groups, thinking about just the cost of doing this. So some large employers may already have a person or entity within their organization that is compiling 
not necessarily this data, but possibly similar data, or is very up to speed, up to code on other reporting requirements, such as the Form 5500s or others. And so they may already have someone who can add this onto the list of things that they're compiling and, and attempting to be in compliance with. But when we look at these smaller entities, knowing that this is going to be more of a challenge for them to get that granular data, it is going to be another cost burden for them because we all know the more administrative burdens you place on a group, the more expensive it is. And so for some of these smaller groups that don't have someone at their organization already that's working on similar types of things, this means an additional cost to either hire someone or to hire a third-party administrator or a third-party vendor to be able to try to compile this information for them to be in compliance. We will discuss the administrative burden aspect in greater detail soon, but the RFI includes a section on definitions. Definitions are vital in regulatory language, so it is important for the agencies to have good working definitions of certain relevant terms. In our response, which terms do we focus on the most? So with our response, we questioned some pieces about how they were defining rebates and fees, data sharing fees, credits, market share incentives. And this all goes to the cost of the pharmaceutical. And the reason why we are asking about these things is because, and again, as many of you know, when we start talking about this, you know, the light bulbs go on. When you have an employee member on a plan, if they go to the pharmacy and they pick up a prescription, if they have a certain type of coupon or a rebate or a credit that doesn't align with the plan, let's say they're using their extra care dollars at CVS, that's just an example. And so it reduces their cost. That's not showing up on the data that is going to be received by the issuer and then eventually by the employer. We need to make sure we understand exactly how they're defining those items and whether they are asking for those reductions in costs to be included in the disclosures by the employers, because as you can imagine, it's going to be very hard to do that if, if that is included. And then also adding on top of that things like GoodRx and other discounts that can be included. So we have a lot of questions on how they're going to be defining some of those pieces, as well as some of the industry standards just within PBMs. They have their own negotiations with different pharmaceuticals. And so how are they defining the different rebate systems that happen there? And are those counted into some of the ways that the disclosure of costs are coming in? So definitely not trying to be difficult with some of these things, but really pointing out that the way that they define these terms is, is very important as well as making sure they're using consistent definitions throughout when it comes to what a prescription drug is and what a pharmacy is. If you are looking for a new way to complete your annual Medicare Advantage training, NAHU should be your first stop. Created by agents for agents, the NAHU certification program meets all CMS requirements plus our training program provides free CE and bonus material that will give you new and important information to assist you in helping your clients throughout the year. 
The plan year 2022 course is now available through NAHU's Benefits Specialist Online Learning Institute. So log on to NAHU.org now and register. Regarding entities that must report, the agencies asked if there were any special considerations for certain plans, including ICRAs. What did we tell agencies here? So some of the special considerations that we discussed and some things that I think we haven't seen kind of being brought up in other discussions about this were looking at the type types of information that is being shared and whether this is going to lead to further privacy concerns further down the line. And when you're thinking about employers disclosing the top 50 pharmaceuticals that are being prescribed, how often they're being prescribed, what the dosage is, again, down to the pill. When you're talking about larger employers, that is a a data subset that may be very difficult to, to go through and possibly identify who is taking what. But when you're talking about a smaller group, it may be something that HR professionals are uncomfortable having access to when you think about the types of pharmaceuticals that different employees could be taking. Do you want to know some of these aspects? And does the employee want their employer to know? So a a lot of considerations there. And then also just thinking about unconscious bias of even having this information and seeing it as an HR professional and whether it will come into play with, you know, your review process with employees if if you know certain things about their medical data. So there's some concern there that we could see some type of discrimination happening based on access to this information. So that's one kind of special aspect that we're pointing out. And then with some of the other specifics with the the plans that you mentioned is pointing out like with the ICRAs, that plan is not the employer's plan. They're technically giving funds towards an individual to go through an HRA to go to an individual plan. So who is the owner of that data? Is it the individual or is it the employer? If they're counting it as an employer plan, how is that employer going to get the data? So a lot of questions here, not just between PBMs and employers of who owns the information, but also between individual employees and the employers. So we've mentioned already the administrative burden that these requirements could bring. At one point, the agencies ask about the impacts that we anticipate from these reporting requirements. So what concerns did we voice and How do we recommend that they minimize the compliance costs of these requirements? And some of this, it's it's difficult to answer, right? Because we have a very broad description of the disclosures that they're asking for that's provided in the CAA and the statute. And then we have this request for information that's asking about all of these specific details. And based on some of the questions, you can kind of guess where they might be going with the regulations and rules on how they want this to be disclosed, but it's not guidance. It's not a rule. So it, it doesn't tell you exactly how they want it. So then to be asked, what do you think the barriers are? How difficult do you think this is going to be? It's hard to answer when you don't have the rules of exactly how it's going to go. 
but just based on the broad positioning of some of these things, we are explaining that it will be quite difficult and that PBMs are going to play a vital role in this. They are going to have to be compelled in some way to share this information. We've, we've heard differing reports just kind of conversationally between some of the NAHU members and their employer clients and the PBMs and TPAs that they work with. Some feel like this will be very easy to comply and be able to provide the appropriate information to the employers that they're contracted with. And then other vendors feel like it's not going to be something that's easy to comply and that the statute says this is up to the employer. So it's their problem not the vendor's problem that that are going to deal with it and and be out of compliance if they don't disclose. So there does need to be some level of regulation there, or at least recognition that once again, and I know I keep repeating this, but once again, the employers don't own this information, which leads to that level of difficulty of how we think this is going to be put in place. So with all of this, when we're talking about what the burden is going to be on putting this in place, something that we are requesting is either a one-year delay or a type of safe harbor or just something similar to that so that employers have more time. This is one of those pieces of the CAA that's set to be put in place at the end of the year. And since we're sitting here towards the end of July and we still don't have rules, this is going to be pretty difficult for folks to be able to comply with. We are asking, like I said, either for a delay or a, possibly a safe harbor that's similar to what we saw with employer reporting that first year. I know it's hard to rewind that far back uh, for some of us, but uh, it is within recent memory. And they provided that safe harbor that just said, like, if you give it your best shot, it'll count. If you just try to release this information. And so If nothing else, we would like for that type of safe harbor, but it would be great if we could see a delay in enforcement on this or delay in compliance until six months to a year after we actually receive rules on how it should work. We think that's fair to ask. So we are asking and we'll see what happens there. And then with that, when we're talking about calendar years and all of that, that was another big question was when is the best time to ask for this information? And depending on whether you're a calendar year plan or not, if you're off calendar year, there really isn't a consensus on when the best time is to ask for this information. Is it X number of months after the renewal and not a specific date, even though The statute asks for a specific date and not giving that kind of formula of a certain amount of days after the re-enrollment or enrollment for a new plan. And then with new plans, gosh, I'm just giving myself more to get worked up about. Talking about with new plans, you know, they're not going to have a history or database to go back for. for, So then when they have, after their first year, where, where does the data and how much information is that actually providing off of that one year? And so one of our other questions just kind of trying to help the departments out was, what are you doing with this data? What's the point of this? Said it much nicer, but kind of saying, you know, hey guys, if you can tell us the the purpose of gathering all of this data, then maybe we can tell you the best way to gather it. If we know what you're doing with the data and why certain points are important for you to collect, 
maybe then we can look at the way that all of this information is shared and come up with the best way to disclose it to the departments instead of approaching it in, in the way that we are now. Overall, we're really trying to do our best to be in compliance. We want to be transparent. We want to play along with what these requirements are asking, but we do know that employers can only do so much with the information that they have. And we want to make sure that they're not being asked for data that they simply don't have access to. So aside from this RFI, there are several other areas which we'll be commenting in the coming weeks, which we will discuss on the podcast and of course include in the Washington update. So what are some of these areas that we'll be commenting on? Like we discussed last week, we will have a response to the surprise billing interim final rule, the surprise billing IFR. That is due the very end of August, beginning of September. So we have a few more weeks to work on our response to that, which we are doing. And we're also providing kind of a prospective letter to the departments on another aspect of transparency within the CAA and some of the information that they're requesting there, again, to make sure that we have um, and are requesting the guidance needed in order to be in compliance towards the end of the year. And then we are currently working on, for next week, submission of our response to the Biden administration's kind of updated revisions of the Notice of Benefit and Payment Parameters, which will largely impact um, the kind of rules of the game for the marketplaces for the 2022 plan year. And then, of course, we're all on the edge of our seats waiting for any broker disclosure requirements um, that could come out from the agencies that we will devour <laughs> very, very quickly once we receive them to be able to respond to them and provide any feedback to you all about what we receive. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we are toasting to our special discussion group of NEHU members that helped us put our response together for this RFI on PBMs in the CAA. Our response is 17 pages long, so your very thorough and specific feedback was well taken and very much celebrated by us. So we are looking forward to submitting this to the departments and hopefully having some follow-up conversations with them on how to realistically implement these rules. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.